So today we're up to week four of uh, our EHS series, Journey Through the Wall. Um, last week we had going backward to move forward and you had a tiny insight, if you were here in the service last Sunday afternoon, you had a tiny insight into the feisty Mutzelberg clan 
and how we relate with each other. And um, it's made me wonder what my kids are saying in their connect groups about Phillips and my parenting style. Um, this is just a little bit nervous, so I'm wondering if Carl is going to share a traumatic thing that happened to him, my terrible parenting, when he was just, I think he was about four, he went off to kindy and I would send my children with little hard-boiled eggs and I would even put little faces on them. Um, and Carl took his little egg to kindy and he cracked his egg and his mother had forgotten to boil it. <laughs> and, and the teachers could not wait for me to come. They, they were like practically lined up. They said, the look on his face. And they were still laughing at the look on Carl's face. So he may need prayer later. You can just um, be considerate of, of the terrible parenting he, he had. So, but you know what, I'm not too worried about what my kids share in Connect Group because the truth is what happens in the Connect Group stays in the Connect Group. Isn't that the rule? Yeah, and I'd like to remind my Connect Group about that. <laughs> what happens in the Connect Group stays in the Connect Group. So, um, now we're on to uh, another reminder I have with EHS. This is a series that was developed by a man called Peter Scazzero. He's a man who has gone through real intense personal crises and it actually comes out in the book and God has taken him on a journey and it, he's, he's given us some amazing tools um, that he has discovered in his own journey. But this is what I want to stress. This is a book. It's just a book. There's some great stuff in it and you can use it, but it's not the word of God. So it's not infallible. So you've got to use your discretion and your wisdom and work out where you are on your journey. And uh, I think it's fantastic. I've, I've, um, I've grown incredibly through reading that book. But it is the word of God that is infallible. And it is the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. As we read a book like this, tied in with the word of God, the word of God is all the way through this book. But uh, I just wanted to remind you of that this morning. We're not into EHS here at Catalyst. We're into the word of God. And we're using EHS as a tool to help us dig deeper into Jesus. Okay, we've got four weeks left and they're going to be great. Philip and I are going to leave the country. We're not going to be here for the next four weeks. So when I became a Christian 45 years ago, I had no idea of the journey that I had begun. Family members thought it was just a teenage fad. They told each other, they consoled each other, it'll pass, she'll come it's just a thing she's into. She'll, she'll come back to normal. But you know what? Many years down the road and I'm still on this journey of Christianity. I'm still travelling on it. I had no idea how my life would be affected, how I would go down roads I didn't dream existed and I would face walls that I um, had always avoided. As a young, brand-new Christian, I read my Bible avidly. Um, it was a fascinating book to me. It was a brand new book. I had never read it before. I had to find out where all the places were in it. But I read it so much that my mother was really concerned that I had joined a cult. I had joined a Baptist church, but she was calling it a cult. And I think she was really scared I was going to come out and say I wanted to become a nun. As I read about God's ways, I had no idea at that stage of my journey how the Bible would keep me protected in times where I might have made wrong choices. I had no idea that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, would nudge me to do things way beyond my comfort zone. 
I didn't even realise at that time all those years ago that there was a community of believers that I would one day be a part of. I had joined a Baptist church, but that's what I'd done, just going along to a Baptist church. I didn't understand the community of believers. There's so much in our Christianity, so much to learn, so much to discover. The Bible is full of God people who have been called on a journey. Abraham, he started his journey at 75. Now, those of you sitting on a certain side of the church don't feel too safe because God is no respecter of age. Abraham, uh, Moses was 80 when he faced the burning bush and he started a new phase on his journey. But then for the other side of the church, a young boy, David, was a shepherd in the fields and he got called to the, to the journey of becoming a king. The 12 disciples were just ordinary men, some of them teenagers. They were called to a journey to change the world. Every one of those people had moments when they hit what Peter Scazzaro in his book calls the wall. So let's have a look at the screen. And this is called the stages of faith. You've also got it in the handout that you have there. Stage one, life-changing awareness of God. Life-changing awareness of God. Sometimes I feel a little bit concerned when people pray the prayer and don't seem to have realised what they have stepped into, what is available to them. And I was just so fortunate that when I came to faith, my whole world exploded, my whole world changed. Suddenly God was alive for me. Suddenly he was real. And many of you have had the same experience of suddenly realising that Jesus Christ was walking beside you in your journey, in your life. And you know what was exciting for me? Every prayer I prayed, God answered. Do you remember those days? You know, it's a little bit like when you've got a little tiny baby and you, you, it cries so you feed it. It cries so you feed it. Well, I sort of think our early part of our Christian journey is a little bit like that. God is so gracious to us. He's revealing himself to us. He's showing us his love. And uh, in those days, my prayers just got answered, 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 answered. I was so excited. Before I became a Christian, I'd actually made a commitment to a friend, a non-Christian friend, that I would go to New Zealand with her. And um, now that I had had this experience and I, I was getting new friends and I was in a little bit of a, well, do I still go to New Zealand? And I felt because now I'm a Christian, I've given my word, I needed to honour that. So, yeah, I, I decided I would go to New Zealand. The night, before, um, we, uh, the night before I was due to fly out, I went to a Youth for Christ rally with a group of my new Christian friends. I actually gave my life um, to the Lord at a Youth for Christ rally, a bit of a story around that, but I responded to the appeal, if you love Jesus, come forward. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing, absolutely no idea, but God knew what he was doing and, uh, and he started me on my journey. So here I am at this rally and Eric Leach comes onto the platform. Oh, we've got any old Youth for Christers here? Anybody know who Eric Leach is? There's a few, there's a few. Eric Leach comes onto the platform. He's the director of Youth for Christ and I'm sitting there watching him. And I prayed the most ridiculous prayer. One of those baby Christian prayers. Oh, Jesus, if you really want me to go to New Zealand, if this is really your will and I'm doing the right thing, Duh, I've got my ticket booked for tomorrow and I'm flying out. But this is my prayer. 
Lord, would you bring Eric Leach out to the airport, please? Well, poor Eric Leach, too bad, too bad if he had to go somewhere else tomorrow morning. But sure enough, the next morning I'm at the airport with a group of my Christian friends and there's this little buzz of excitement. Eric Leach is here, Eric Leach is here. Of course, he's a little bit of a hero to some of them. And, um, and Eric came over, he saw some Youth for Christ kids, so he came over, said hello and prayed for me. Isn't God good? Think about it. Isn't God good? That's amazing. That's just one of the little amazing stories that we all have. We all have those stories and we all need to be reminding ourselves about those stories. Stage two, discipleship, learning. This is when I was devouring God's word, learning all I could. I got water baptised in this stage. I wanted to know all I could about God. Stage three, the act of life. This is when I started to understand being part of a local group of believers was a natural part of my Christian journey. Up to now, I had thought of church as being something separate to me. Now I realised it was part of who I was becoming. I was becoming the church. I was a living stone, the Bible calls it, in a building. And you're all living stones with me in the same building. We are the church. Enormous truth. Stage four, the wall and the inward journey. And these are interchangeable. I'll come back to that. Stage five, reflection and looking inward should move us, move us to being outward. Our outward serving of God flows out of a deep inner life. So in some ways, stage five is very like stage three. You can still be doing the same sort of things you were doing in stage three, but it's grounded in a whole different reality of who you are. It's got depth to it. It's got maturity to it because you've been through a wall. Stage six is growing, being transformed into the love of God and it's pouring out of you. There's not a lot of stage sixes around, but the ones we know are just amazing people. But I want to focus today on the wall and this journey through the wall because this strikes at the core of who we all are. It doesn't matter today if you're a Christian or not. We all face walls in our life. So what is a wall? A wall is that thing that stops you moving forward in your life, stops you growing and progressing. It can be an emotional wall, a circumstance, a distraction. As a Christian, it's how we go through the wall that matters. But the bad news this morning is there are a lot of walls in our lives and they've got a lot of different widths and heights and size. But we all will face walls and we all will face more than one wall. So I want to remind you this morning of the parable that Jesus told, the farmer sowing seed in Luke 8. It says, the scripture says, some of the seed fell on the path and it got eaten by the birds. And some fell on the rocks and withered because it had no moisture. Other fell amongst the thorns and when it grew, the thorns choked it. But still other seed fell on good ground and, and when it, on good ground and when it was grown, developed a healthy crop. Now, why would Jesus tell this parable to his disciples? They wondered that too. So they went to him and they said, Lord, explain to us what that parable means. And you know what? I know that you've all heard this a lot. But there's a, one point in this parable that I really want to bring out. Jesus said to them, he said, the seed is the word of God. It is scattered out to the people. Some people are like the path. They're hard and unyielding, so they don't take it into their lives. And Carl mentioned that in communion this morning. Some people just don't want to know anything about the things of God. You speak to them, they say, no, I'm not religious, I don't want to know. 
They've got no interest in, in pursuing and seeing if there is anything out there, no interest whatsoever in the spiritual or the supernatural. Others receive it, but they don't water it so it doesn't last in their lives. These are Jesus' words. Others receive it, but they don't water it. I wonder this morning if there's people here that you're thinking to yourself, you know what, that, that could be me. You've never watered the seed in your life. Just, just a few weeks ago, we had two people, two people come up to us at the end of a service and say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. We gave them books to read, Bibles, a Bible. We gave them explanation. We talked with them. We said to them, now, you've got to water You've got to water what's happening in your life. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to come to church. You've got to be with believers. Join a connect group. No, they didn't water it. They didn't water it at all. They didn't water it at all. We have choices to make. We have the responsibility to water the seed that is in our lives. Okay. And still others start to grow. But when the cares and concerns and pleasures of the world, the cares and concerns and pleasures of the world, or another word could be when the walls come up in front of them, when they start to overwhelm them, Jesus said they do not mature. Very important here, they do not mature. But the seed that fell on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word of God, they retain it and by persevering produce a crop. Some very important words there, by persevering produce a crop. We've all met people who haven't matured in the midst of a crisis and they're still whinging about it and they're still going on about it. But then you meet the other people who persevere in the crisis and they come out richer for the experience. They've learned something. The reason we're doing EHS as a church is to help equip us all to be perseverers. When we hit those walls, we need to be able to persevere. And if you're writing anything down on your piece of paper, you should write in capital letters, persevere. That is just such an important thing. Now, can I just point out here that those who gave into the cares and concerns of the world in that parable and didn't mature, as Jesus said, that doesn't mean they weren't saved. That doesn't mean they weren't going to go to heaven one day. It just means they're going to live their life as immature people not prepared to grow, not prepared to water the seed. But those who broke through produced a good crop. Now, we all have a different expectation on what a crop is, but it's certainly worth persevering to get through the wall. Just, um, just this last week, we had an email from uh, the founding pastor of our church, Vince Esterman. Hands up, those who know Vince. Beautiful. Okay, you will love this story. Found a pastor, founding pastor of this church, a real evangelist heart. And um, he sent us a photo that will be coming up here shortly <clears throat> um, of an event that happened uh, just recently. In the early part of his ministry, when Vince first went to France and was pioneering these churches and building churches over there, leading people to faith, uh, the French government declared he was a cult. And Vince was terribly upset about this because he knew that would stop people coming through to faith. And so he took, it was a wall, a huge wall for Vince, so he took the battle on. And uh, just this week we got this photo and this is, what, uh, this is what he says. Dear friends and partners, today the President of France called in the representatives of the major religions of France over the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. 
representing the Protestants of France as General Secretary of the Protestant Federation of France is Pastor Georges Michel. Now, Georges was the first pastor that Vince ever ordained into his cult. And here he is now with the President of, of France. Georges being at this table on the left, second from the top with the guy with the grey hair, is as if I was there myself. God has indeed vindicated us. I wanted to share this with you hot off the press. It is a great source of satisfaction for me. That is Vince's crop. Can you see that? That's his crop. He, he went to battle. He wrote letters to the French government. He got other people to come in. And now I can hardly imagine how excited he was. And that's his crop. He's not there himself. But you know what he says? It's as if I was. It's as if I was there myself. See, a wall can turn our lives upside down. Vince's life was turned upside down when he heard he had been branded a cult. Your wall could be a marriage crisis. It could be a medical diagnosis. It could be a betrayal, a financial crisis, a car accident, an emotional bondage. The list goes on. My first wall after I became a Christian happened within weeks of getting to New Zealand. I, was the, I'm, I am the youngest child of a family of four. A lot of years between me and my siblings and I was extremely spoiled. I was extremely protected. I was super sensitive and I was very, very shy. Why my mother even let me out of the house? I don't know. Maybe, maybe she wanted to get rid of me. Um, but I hit New Zealand. I didn't have any friends over there. My um, friend that I'd gone with was way... She, she was like, well, nice you came with me. Well, goodbye. I, you know, she was into another world. So, uh, but at the airport, Eric Leach had given me the address for the meeting place of the Auckland Youth for Christ. And uh, I knew that I should go to this meeting. I, I knew that I needed to get into Christian fellowship. I knew I needed to water the seed. And, um, but I was scared. I was so scared of meeting all these new people, facing this new situation. And I, finally, I, I, I plucked up the courage and I, I went and found the address. Um, it was in the middle of Auckland and I had to go up this long flight of stairs and I, I remember walking up the stairs and it was a little balcony and there was this door and it was like inside that room was everything I wanted. There was teenagers and young people and noise and music and laughter and happiness and I, I stood there looking at it, shaking with fear. I, I couldn't go into that room. I was just too scared. So I turned around and I, I left. And I was walking down the street in Auckland and I had tears because tears are the baby. The baby in the family always cries. Tears streaming down my face. And, uh, and the Spirit of God just spoke to me and said, you've got to face this. You've got to face it. And it was, Jesus, you come with me. Remember that? That relationship with Jesus was so real. He's so with you. And he's still like that today. We need to constantly come back to that relationship with Jesus. So I turned around and I went back into that room and my life was changed. My life was changed. I won't go into those stories, but, um, but my life was changed because I took the courage to turn around with Jesus and, and face a wall. So the first step in the wall is my will versus God's will. My will versus God's will. See, I know some of you would have breezed into that room. Some of you would have been the life of the party. Some of you would have been, here I am. Um, but my will was not to go into that room. But God's will was for me to move forward. 
There's many evidence of people in the Bible facing walls. Moses, Elijah, Nehemiah, Paul, all the disciples had walls and they all chose God's will. But I want to point out one to you this morning who didn't choose God's will. Judas came up against a wall and he chose his own will. He had a weakness for money. He loved money. The scriptures makes that very clear. He took offence that Jesus would dare um, have perfume broken and, and washed on his hair and his feet. And for, the, for money, he, uh, he betrayed Jesus, 30, 30 pieces of silver. And I really believe that Judas thought that Jesus, he would force Jesus' hand to declare that he was the Messiah. I really believe that Judas had walked with Jesus. He'd seen Jesus' miracles. He knew Jesus was a different sort of man. And I believe that he knew that Jesus was the Son of God. I really believe when he betrayed Jesus, he didn't think that Jesus, that would be the result of Jesus going to the cross. I think he thought that Jesus would, would, would declare himself and come out in victory. And when he realised that this isn't what Jesus was going to do, it wasn't going to work out how, how Judas wanted, what did he do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. He was standing at a wall, but he didn't do anything. He didn't go to confession. He didn't ask for forgiveness. And they're the absolute keys to breaking down some of the walls, some of his face is that, that confession and forgiveness. The scripture says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I had to confess my lack of trust in Christ when I wouldn't go into that room. But when I did face it, I was set free. And remember um, the disciple Peter? <clears throat> he betrayed Christ, just like Judas did. Don't you think it's amazing that the scripture, the New Testament, gives us the two disciples who betrayed Christ and what happened to one and what happened to the other? What happened to Peter was he faced his wall. He faced his wall and he, he gained forgiveness and he was able to go forward. In Genesis 22, Abraham, at about 110 years of age, is at a wall. And this is not his first wall. He had to leave his home, his family, his culture, his security. He faced a famine. He had conflict with family. His wife Sarah was infertile. Wall after wall after wall, Abraham has faced. And then he's nearing the end of his life. And God has blessed him. He has a son. And God says the number of his children is going to be like the stars of the sky. And it's going to be a blessing to all the earth. Oh, Abraham's feeling good. It's all there. He's gone through the walls. He's come to a good place. He's really comfortable. Does this sound familiar, Philip? Are you listening to me? <laughs> and then God puts another wall up. Just when you think you can retire, another wall comes. This is, and God, then God says, to, God says to him, give me your only son, Isaac. Put him on the altar and kill him. Now, what you've got to remember is the culture of the day was the people around Isaac, uh, Abraham regularly sacrificed their children to false gods. That's what they did. This wasn't a, a foreign thing to Abraham. It would have been a little bit like, oh, oh, you want me to do that? But Abraham had been through so many walls and had come to a place of maturity, he absolutely believed that God would rise Isaac up again. And that's what you've got to remember. It was Abraham's faith in God that allowed him to face the wall. And uh, I want you to look at this first because God tests those he loves and whom he has special purpose for. It says, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abram. 
Now, I want you to know that God comes to all of us at certain moments in our life and he calls our name. He calls Joe, he calls Susie, he calls Gideon. We know he called Gideon. And Abraham, when his name was called, replied, here I am. And that's what we do when we face walls. We say, here I am, Lord. Just as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, God shows up and stops him. But, but God did this to allow Abraham to find out what was in his own heart. Abraham was totally submissive to God's will. When you face a wall, it allows you to see what's in your own life. That's why God tests us. Scripture says God doesn't tempt us. There is a difference. But God does test us and it lets us see what's going on inside there. And it's what you do with that awareness, what you do with that realisation that matters. When I didn't want to go into that room full of people, I could see real emotional issues in my life. I had two choices. I could stay in a life of fear. I remember walking down that road thinking to myself, is this going to be your life? Is this what it's going to be like? Or I could move forward with God. Many of you know um, our story. 25 years ago, we came to this church and we worked together with God um, to help build this, build this church to where it is today or where it was five years ago. It's even better today. We, we worked to build it because this is our community of believers. It's the people we are a part of. But you can understand, if you take your mind back to a little girl 45 years ago who... who was really scared and didn't want to move forward. You can understand why the devil wanted to keep me in bondage. You can understand why the devil want, didn't want to make me, allow me to be a confident person who could meet people. Because you see, I had a journey. I had a, something to do down the road. This was my crop. This, this was my future. But could you imagine if Philip came here with a shy, timid, unable to cope wife? There would have been no crop for us. Going through the wall emerges as simple as, yes, Lord. That is the first step for going through the wall. It is our will versus God's will. Abraham said, yes, Lord. Moses said, yes, Lord. Joseph said, yes, Lord. Paul said, yes, Lord. But Judas said no, and his life was nothing. The first step at the wall, my will versus God's will. The second step for going through the wall is let God walk, work in you. Do you know what the greatest need in the world today is? It's more calorie-free chocolate. <laughs> and every woman said yes. No, the greatest social need in the world today is not HIV, AIDS, outreach. It's not global warming. It's not ending poverty or eliminating cancer. It's not clean water. It's not racial reconciliation, not sexual trafficking, not abortion. It's not peace in the Middle East. The greatest need in the human, in the world today is transformed humanity. It is through transformed humanity that these things will be dealt with. What sort of, what sort of people group, a hundred children are being sponsored by this church because we are transformed people and we see the need and we understand the need. Those things will be eradicated as people become transformed. It's God's desire to change mankind and he wants to do it one at a time, starting with you and starting with me. We were created in the image of God, but it was sin that messed us up. Now God's doing a work of transformation in us, but it's still up to us. We still have choices. Remember the choices that Carl spoke about in communion. We have to allow him. 
In the parable of the sower, the people had choices. As we yield to his work in us, we start to transform and the Bible is full of scriptures that promises that God will work in us. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. Hebrews 13.21, may God equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. And I love this one. This next scripture is the absolute essence of this whole message. James 1.4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's that word, perseverance again. Perseverance, it is such a key to breaking through work, uh, walls. And, and, and the scripture says it's there. So God will give you the strength. God loves you enough that he's going to meet you at the wall and his spirit will be working in you at the wall. But you have to let him do the work. You must keep taking tiny steps over your wall. And for some of you, it's two steps forward and one step back. I know it is because I talk to you. I know how hard some of you find it, but I watch you and I cheer you on as you take two steps forward and a half a step back, and then you take three steps forward. I see it, and I've seen it over the years. I see the victory that people take a hold of, but you've got to stay there and you've got to persevere. Two weeks ago, we talked about David going back to go forward. He went through a wall, and he came out transformed from an egotistical teenager to a wise and compassionate man. And the same thing with Joseph last week, going back to go forward. He went through a wall and he came out a transformed, a transformed from an egotism. What, what am I doing here? I absolutely lost myself. I'm sorry. David went through dark times and Joseph went through dark times. Came out from an egotistical teenager to a wise, compassionate man. St. John of the Cross lived in the 1500s. And he wrote one of the most referred books today when it comes to issues of the soul. It's called The Dark Night of the Soul. And if anybody knew about walls, St. John did. Um, he was a friar with the Catholic Church, and friars are different to monks. Whereas monks live in a self-sufficient, closed community, friars worked among the lay people and are supported by donations and other charitable support. So friars lived amongst the people, and the reason they did that was so that they could help the people and so that they could evangelise. Because in the early days of the Catholic Church, this sort of evangelism was... was well, they were passionate about it. But things had changed a little bit in the Catholic Church, and um, the emphasis was not so much on evangelism anymore. And St John didn't like this, and he was constantly pushing... Um, that, that, that the Catholic Church would again embrace um, the message of suffering and the message of evangelism. So um, what happened was a group of Carmelite friars decided they didn't like him pushing this because they were getting into it. They had a more comfortable life now. So they captured him and they put him into prison and they tortured him. He was whipped weekly. He was put into solitary confinement in a small cell and he was fed bread and fish scraps and water. And he was kept there for nine months until he, ex he escaped through the walls. I love that. First the natural, then the spiritual. And out of this, he wrote a book called Dark Night of the Soul. And he wrote about seven things that stopped humans going through the wall. 
So I want to see if you feel that you can identify with any of them. Um, just uh, by the by, too, before I go into them, is uh, St John of the Cross here. The Catholic Church tortured him, but after he died, they made him a saint. So I ask you. So okay, he's got, we've got these words up here, but St John's translation of these words isn't like what we would look at when we see there. He's talking to spiritual people and why spiritual people don't break through or people who have <coughs> yielded themselves to Christ. So the first one is pride. This can stop you going through the wall. A tendency to condemn others and be impatient with their faults. These people are very selective about who can teach them. And these people will find it hard to build close relationships until they go through the wall of humility. So if you're having trouble with relationships today, have a think. Number two, greed. But he wasn't referring to money. These people don't want to be poor in spirit. They want new teachings, new insights, new revelations all the time. Number three, luxury. This is using God for your own pleasure. It's more about the pleasures and good feelings of God than about God himself. These people don't want to suffer at all and they will resist the testings of God. They are the first to tell God off if he doesn't answer their prayers like they think he should. Number four, wrath. It's not, this is not how we see wrath or anger. This wrath is a lack of patience to wait on God. It's being easily irritated. These people promise to change, but they never do. There's no perseverance in their lives. Number five, spiritual gluttony. These people resist the, dis the disciplines of the cross and choose spiritual blessings like little children. They will change churches often, looking for the place that will feed them what they want to hear. Number six, spiritual envy. These people feel unhappy when others do well spiritually. They're always comparing. And number seven, sloth or laziness. These people run from the things in the Christian life that are hard and look for the easy way out. But when we go through the wall, these things start to drop off us. So the benefits of going through the wall. Number one, a greater level of brokenness. We have a greater awareness of ourselves. Remember that awareness we're looking for? Um, the prodigal son, when he was in the pit with the pigs, he's run away from everybody and he's sitting in the pit. And the scripture says, when he came to his senses... It's at the wall we become self-aware. We begin to see and we come to our senses. And so it's a huge time of, of inward looking and inward understanding. It's there that we catch sight of our things, uh, things in our life that we, weren't ha that, that we weren't aware were there. And that's why God tests us to help us to see these things and to get rid of them. That's why God took me to New Zealand all those years ago because he wanted to work in my life. He wanted to let me see things that were there and he's continued to, that, to do that over the years. Suddenly I see something and I think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I had that attitude or that response. The second benefit of going through the wall, Peter Scazzaro calls it, a greater appreciation for holy unknown. Peter tends to like the sort of Catholic big words. I call it, I'm human and God's God. We can't put God into a box and we soon start to learn this when our little baby prayers stop getting answered like we want. Some of, some of us want to tick all the boxes. If I pray hard enough, fast often enough, give my money and attend church, read my Bible, then God will bless me and I won't suffer and life will be good. 
God is not after using you as a tool or a robot and to get his work done. He's all about loving you in a profound and deep relationship and out of that everything flows. Your relationship with God is more important to him than any task or service that you can do. The father of the prodigal son didn't keep him at home just to have an extra hand around the the farm. He let his son go into the pigsty with the prayer that his son would become much more self-aware and he did. We know the story. The son came home and the father didn't react like the son thought he would. The father didn't um, make him a servant. Instead, he threw a party. And that's the thing with God. He doesn't conform to our wisdom. What we decide, some of you have even decided that God doesn't like you. Some of you have even decided that you don't deserve the blessings of God. So you don't even ask for them anymore. You're deciding in your own mind what God is like. But God does not conform to our wisdom. He rubs rubs spit and mud into into a blind man's eyes to heal him. Why did he do that? Just because he wasn't going to do it the the normal way, I suppose. He gives workers at the end of the day the same wages as those who started work at the beginning of the day. He tells his followers to go the extra mile and turn the other cheek and to forgive and, and pray for and feed those who treat us badly. He refused a human throne and chose a cruel Roman cross. He doesn't do it how we think he should. The third benefit of going through to the other side is a deeper ability to wait for God. Psalm says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope, and my soul waits for the Lord. God has a perfect timing for you. Abraham learned to wait at the wall. It was 25 years before Isaac was born, after the promise had been given. David had to wait for a kingdom. Hannah had to wait for a child. Jesus waited in a carpenter's shop probably at least 15 years. Can you imagine that? All those miracles, all that ability, just waiting, just waiting. God God doesn't mind just keeping us waiting. My husband Philip was called into ministry when he was 18 years old. He had to wait 14 years before God opened the first door for him. And another word for wait can be perseverance. It's just persevering. The fourth benefit, a greater detachment. I love this one. Paul wrote about this, de- this detachment in 1 Corinthians 7. What I mean, brothers, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For, th- for this world in its present form is passing away. We are to live our lives like everybody else. Yeah, we're meant to get married and we experience sorrow and joy and we buy things and we use them, but we always remember that these things in themselves are not our lives. Our lives are tied in to Jesus Christ. Detachment is the great secret of inner peace and I think that is so true. That is just, that's a re- detachment is the great secret of inner peace. Detachment from offence, detachment from material possessions, detachment from those things that would chain us up. So this morning, we've gone through facing the wall, looking at the wall. Um, The extra little thing I've added into this EH message is the crop. 
that when you go through a wall, there is a crop on the other side. I reap, the crop I reaped when I went through that wall of shyness was being able to delight in the people I meet, to talk to them easily. I, I have a real interest in people, what they think, how they tick, and I would have been denied that if I'd stayed behind that wall of shyness and fear. So I'd like you to take just a couple of minutes to, we'll put the, the chart back up of where you might be on that chart, put that back up, and I'd like you to take, or it's on a piece of paper in front of you, take a couple of minutes and look at that and have an honest look at where you think you might be on that, on that chart. Where do you think you are? Do you think that you're right at the beginning? Um, have you moved through? Are you facing a wall? Have you moved through to level five and, and possibly facing another wall there at level five? Because walls will happen. Abraham had a wall right at the end of his life. So have a think, close your eyes and just reflect for a few minutes on where you might be in that wall. I want you to think about your faith in Christ. Where are, you, where are you at with your Christianity? What do you have to do? Do you have some watering to do? Do you have some work to do? If you're feeling you do, I'd really encourage you to um, be sure to attend your connect group this, through this week and have some real honest talking about where you're at, what's happening in your life, what walls you're facing. But this morning, there'll be some people who aren't in connect groups. Some people have come into our service. And I just want to make opportunity this morning, if you're facing a wall, if there's something that you're facing, I'd like to ask that you stand and we'll pray together as, a, as the church, as the building blocks of Jesus Christ. We'll pray and we'll lift our faith together for, for walls to be broken down. So if this is you, please stand right where you are if you're feeling that you're facing a wall today. Any sort of wall, it can be sickness or... Um, life circumstances, it can be finances. If that's you, if you're feeling that you're f facing a wall today. Okay. Okay, Lord, would those people just near those people, just stretch out your hand. Father, we just pray for those who are, are brave enough to stand up and say, yeah, I'm facing a wall. I've got a wall I've got to climb over. Lord, we just pray that by the power of your spirit, you will break that down in their lives. Father, together, united, we turn to an amazing God and we say, Lord, look at this wall. They need to get through it. And so, the, so Father, we pray for them that they will be able to push through that wall in the name of Jesus. Lord, give them, give them insight, give them wisdom, give them self-awareness, give them everything they need to be able to break through that wall. I just pray for that in the name of Jesus, Lord, and I thank you that when your people unite and pray in your name, amazing things happen because you're an amazing God. And Lord, I pray right now too that the power of your spirit, the beautiful spirit of Jesus Christ would, would rise up within those standing, Lord, and that they would just feel your presence and just know that you're with them. Lord, give them confidence. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Feet of my king.